All right, um, so I want to kick off things this morning with a question as we normally do. So what are some things, and dig deep for this now, and be honest with yourself, okay? What are some things that you are holding on to? It could be anything. I'm going to give you a moment just to think about that. What are some things that you're holding on to? Now, married folks, this could be dangerous, okay? So our guys in the room, blink twice if your gun safe is in trouble right now, (laughs) all right? And our ladies in the room, blink twice if you carried your husband all the way to Hobby Lobby for the fifth time in three months, and you bought a whole bunch of stuff that was on sale, and you put it in the room because when the sunroom gets done being painted, you're going to redo all of that decor. You with me? You follow me? That's never happened to me, obviously. All right. And our single folks, um, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I mean, keep holding on hope. But in all seriousness this morning, there's some good stuff that we can hold on to, right? Um, Like our family heirlooms, things that we pass down from generation to generation, our traditions, things that we do. I know for me and the Thompson family, we have some traditions where every Christmas Eve, we get the whole family, like all 200 of us or whatever. And we go to my Uncle Melvin's barn and we have Santa come and we, we just do the whole thing. That's a great tradition. Been going on longer than I've been alive. Good values, that's something good to hold on to. Good morals, things like that. Those are all really good things. Now, what are some bad things to hold on to. And I'll start us off with this one. If you're 35 and you still carry around your special blanket, <laughs> it's time to let it go. <laughs> okay. Bad thing to hold on to. Your computer from 20 years ago, trash it. Come on. It, it, it's way past time. I mean, even this, my phone that I've got in my pocket is, well, it's cracked. So but it's two or three years old, and it's past its life expectancy. So, Now, I actually looked up a couple of weird things that people hold on to, so I invite you to laugh with me this morning as we kind of look at some of these. So here's one. You guys know have you, who's flown? Show of hands. Okay, probably most everybody. You know the bags that they give you, like the barf bags or whatever? Somebody's actually collected those. It's a guy in the Netherlands. I'm going to butcher his name. His name is Nick Vermeulen, and uh, he holds the Guinness World Record for this. Does anybody want to take a stab at how many of these he has? Anybody? Five? Did you say 5,000? Close. 6,000 from, from 200 countries. Imagine that being the thing you hold on to, right? Um, here's another guy. His name is Rick Cicciarelli, I think I said that right. He collects, and y'all aren't going to believe this, rat traps. All the way back to 1836. I don't know why his mission is to educate people on the advances in catching rodents, but hey, we've all got our thing, right, I guess. Here's a couple more, and we'll finish up on this. Hotel do not disturb signs. There are people that connect those, or collect those. And finally, toilet paper. 
all the different types of toilet paper. Why? Don't ask me. I don't know. Now, what are some things that we hold on to that are actually pretty destructive? Now, I'm sure in the back of our mind, we can kind of think of some things that are not so good. Addiction, our various types of sin. But I would say this, one of the most destructive and dangerous things that we hold on to is a grudge. Because a grudge can divide, can divide families, can divide church members, employers. I mean, go down the list. You can, you can use your imagination and think, right? And I'm not ashamed, and I'll, I will say, stand right here this morning, and y'all can point a finger right at me because I have been all of these things this morning. There's some good things I hold on to, like things that I've learned and I've been taught and I want to teach my children. And there's some bad things that I hold on to. Now, those of you that know me know my famous addiction to Mountain Dew and pizza. And I'd argue that those are some pretty awesome things, <laughs> right? And y'all are just jealous. But anyway, um, no, probably not good from a health standpoint to hold on to that. And I've most certainly, and hear me when I say this, I've most certainly struggled with grudges too. I've held my fair share over the years. Look, just because I'm on church staff doesn't mean I'm immune to the same things. Okay, in fact, it might mean that I probably am attacked more for it. That's okay. So this leads us into our scripture this morning. So if, you'll, if you got your Bible with you, got your phone with you, you can look up at the screen. It's actually going to be on there too. Let's turn to Mark chapter 11, and we are going to be in verses 25. And we're actually going to be in verse 26, and I'll talk about that in just a second, but I'm going to get there myself. So Mark 11, chapter 25. Okay. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. And your Bible may have 20, verse 26 in there. It may not, but verse 26 says this. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And you'll see, like it's in parentheses, it'll say like this is maybe not included in some of the ancient manuscripts and stuff like that. But I'm including verse 26 for a reason, so we're going to get there. But to be honest with you all, I think this text is one of those that, you know, we read through it and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, I get it. Like I'm supposed to forgive people. Okay. You know, what else is new under the sun? That's one of the most central teachings of the Bible. And, and it's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Forgiveness is a very central theme, not only for our own forgiveness, but for the forgiveness that we're supposed to extend to others. And so I want to give you a couple of famous examples of this, and we'll have it on the screen. Um, 1 John 1.9 says that if we were to confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this next one I don't have on the screen, but you probably know it. It's uh, in Matthew chapter 18, 
verses 21 through 35. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to give you the Cliff's Note version. Um, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? So you probably know this one. The, the, there's a servant. He works for this king, and he's got this massive amount of debt. We're talking like thousands of bags of gold. I mean, astronomical amount of debt. And it comes time to pay up, and he's, he's begging, please, 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 just forgive me of this debt. You know, if, if you see fit, just forgive me of that. And he does. He actually does. But then what happens next? We see that same servant that's been forgiven, and he comes by, and he has a servant that owes him like 100 silver coins. And he puts him in a chokehold, and he says, pay me my money or else or whatever. And word gets back to the master, and he rebukes him for his lack of forgiveness in light of all that he's been forgiven for. And he hands him over to be tortured until he can pay back what he's owed. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is another famous example. I'm going to put you on the spot. Lord's Prayer, Our Father, say it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us for our trespasses as what? Okay, so y'all said it. All right. Good job, by the way. I, I give y'all, you know, full marks for that. And finally, Ephesians 4.32. This one will be on the screen. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So it's probably pretty clear what I'm talking about this morning. And we just read a bunch of verses about it, so we can just wrap this thing up. Worship Team Young, come on back up. We can just sing the last song, and then we can just go get some food, right? I mean, really, like, and, it, and if, you, if you felt this way reading through this passage of Mark or any other passage of Scripture like it, I don't blame you, because I, I caught myself reading through this too and just going through, okay, you know, Mark chapter 11, uh, you know, Jesus is, is, is coming into Jerusalem and, you know, he, he sees this fig tree and, all right, he turns over some tables, tells us to forgive some people, and that's it. Okay, I got, I got the whole thing. But there's so much more there, guys. And it's easy for us to read through and we, we look for the, the titles, right? And we look for the bold letters and we, and we get that real quick and, and we, we just miss all the other little details and all the context and everything surrounding it. Um, and we, we get the idea of it, but we miss the practical of it or the application of it. We miss the forest for the trees. I mean, no, oh, I'm so guilty of that. Checked it off my to-do list. I read scripture today, you know. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I'm sure you can all relate to me on that. So I want to hang out here for a second in Mark chapter 11. And I really want to break this thing down. Now, y'all going to be mad at me because we're probably not going to beat the Methodists over to Nabila's, but just bear with me, all right? So we're, we're back in Mark chapter 11, and uh, I'm going to pull up my scripture here. And uh, <clears throat> so this is actually pretty close to the time of the crucifixion. Um, when he's coming in on Mark chapter 11, and I'm not going to read through the whole scripture, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but... He's entering in on a donkey on Palm Sunday, you know, and, he's, and that's the fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And so he spends the night in Bethany. And then on Monday, he returns to Jerusalem, 
and he sees this fig tree. And Jesus is thinking, I, you know, I'm, I'm hungry, so let me walk on over to this fig tree. And he walks over and he sees nothing but leaves. Well, it's not the season for figs, but he curses it anyway and says, may you never bear fruit again. And then he continues on to Jerusalem. He turns over the tables, clears out the money changers and all that. And that, now we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. So that'll be on the screen if you follow along with me. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw that same fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And then Mark chapter, um, 11, 26, if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Why the emphasis on forgiveness at the end? So in the beginning of that, we've got have faith, and that can move mountains. That sounds awesome. Have that little bit of faith and move mountains. That sounds great. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe, and you shall receive it. I think we're pretty okay with that, aren't we? That sounds great. But then we get, if you're praying and you have something against somebody, forgive them. I don't really like that part. Do y'all? I don't, I don't really like that part. And then in verse 26, we get, if we don't forgive, then we won't be forgiven. I really don't like that part. Do y'all? No. So I want to make one thing clear here before I continue on. This teaching in Mark 11, and specifically in verses 25 through 26, he's not saying we're going to lose our salvation for unforgiveness. So let me get that objection out of the way. We're going to come back to that, but before we continue, I just wanted to, you know, I always try to think of things like if I'm preaching or the perspective if somebody were to tell me that, and that might be a question that popped in my head. So get that out of your head. He's not talking about salvation in this, in this text. But why the emphasis on forgiveness. So let's take a look back for a second. Let's go back to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 and 14. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, historically speaking, the fig tree is often a symbol for Israel in the Old Testament. And if you know anything about Israel at all, you know that uh, they are God's chosen people, but they're really good at messing that up. I mean, really, they, they're professionals at it. 
And when we look in this text, when Jesus goes to the temple and he sees the Pharisees there and he sees the money changers and all that stuff, they've made the temple a den of robbers. So things haven't changed too much from the Old Testament, have they? Still kind of that consistent Israel, just, you know, turning their back on God and do whatever they want to do. And the Pharisees, I mean, they're the teachers of the law, yes. But spiritually, they're bankrupt. What does Jesus tell them that? They're dead, whitewashed tombs. They're beautiful on the inside, but they're dead. Or they're beautiful on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. And why is this? Because they've been cut off from the source. They don't bear any more fruit. They do things out of habit, not out of adoration. They do things for attention, selfish desires, not to glorify God. Much like that fig tree that's withered and dead. Now stay with me here. You're probably wondering, how does all this make sense? Just a few days later in the, at the Last Supper, Jesus is teaching the disciples the importance of remaining connected to him. So turn with me to John 15, verse 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. So John 15, verse 5. I'm going to read through this quickly, but it says that I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And catch this, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We're almost done. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, that whatever you may ask in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. That's a lot. We just, we just read like 12 verses there. So why the importance of forgiveness? Why does Jesus spend so much time on this concept? You may have seen in your bulletin that the title of this message this morning was Forgiveness is a Four-Letter Word. No, I'm not bad at reading. Forgiveness is love. It's love. It's rooted in love. So let's think about some things that forgiveness does. So yes, it's love. It's a form of love. It's also a form of worship. 
because we're obeying God. We're worshiping God through that. It unifies us, our family, our relationships, our church. It clears our conscience. It gets rid of grudges. It's obedience. We just talked about that. And even furthermore, we'll be forgiven if we practice forgiveness. And from a psychological and medical standpoint, I, I looked up a couple of studies on this. There's a study by Dr. Frederick Luskin at Stanford. This was back in 2003. But it shows that practicing forgiveness is actually shown to reduce depression, anger, stress, cardiovascular disease, pain, and increase hope, compassion, self-confidence, and immune response. But here's the kicker, and this is where we come full circle. We can't do any of that. We can't forgive. We can't worship. We can't do any of that stuff if we're cut off from the source. It's impossible. And furthermore, we can't do anything good in this Christian life if we do it in our own power. Abide in me and I in you. Love because I've loved you. It's right there, folks. What does Jesus say in, in the Gospels when he's teaching? What does he say that the two greatest commandments are? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we don't love God, we're not going to worship him or be obedient to him. And if we don't do that, then we certainly can't love or forgive our neighbor. And if we can't do either of those things, then what good are we actually doing? We're more like the Pharisees at that point than Christ. More like that fig tree, withering away, dying from the inside out, because we're disconnected. When we practice unforgiveness, we are disconnected from Jesus. So how in the world could we, and I want you to think about this seriously, how could we approach a God that paid for our lives with the life of his son while dragging around unforgiveness? Those things don't mesh, do they? We can't. And that's the point. We talked about what forgiveness does. What does unforgiveness do? We spend all this mental energy keeping these grudges active. We go in Walmart and we see somebody that we don't like. Oh, man, they, I don't like them. They did this to me 10 years ago or whatever. They said this about me or whatever. You've been carrying that grudge for 10 years. You got to keep up that energy. And meanwhile, God is saying, oh, yeah, you want to keep that grudge up? Well, I gave my son for them, too. So let me encourage you, folks. Don't hold on to your sin by holding on to the sin of others. And dragging that 
to God when you pray. So back to Mark eleven twenty six. 26. I mentioned earlier, no, we're not talking about salvation at that point. Because Titus 3, 5, and it'll be on the screen, says that he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. But hear this. If we continue to harbor that unforgiveness in our heart, we're just giving Satan a playground just to run rampant with. And we put the daily renewal and cleansing of our own heart at risk. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. And consequently, in, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, and Luke 6, 37, which are some parallels to this verse, that you'll see them on the screen right there. We're putting our intimacy with Christ at risk. We put our connection to the vine at risk. And I'm sure you can figure out the rest. What happens when we're disconnected from the vine? So my question for you is very simple this morning. Is it worth it to just continue in unforgiveness? Is it truly worth it? Count up the cost. We all have that person or persons, and we kind of, ugh, you know, man, I want to go to, Asparza's or whatever, but they're there. I don't want to go there. Uh, be honest with yourself. Seriously. Here's the bottom line this morning. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Let that stick. Forgiven people are forgiving people. So if we were to truly put this teaching into practice this practice of forgiveness, what would change? Why even care? This is why. If we forgave like Jesus, everything would change. Everything would change. Our relationships, our churches, cities, communities, families, Everything across the board would change. We would love deeper, extend grace farther, be more open to those in need. We wouldn't get caught up in these petty squabbles, thrown from gossip to gossip, or drama to drama. We would be able to forgive 70 times 7 or more. Because here's the stark reality today. And if you didn't hear anything else that I said, hear this and don't miss this. We don't deserve forgiveness at all. Not even a little bit. We were not worthy. We were enemies to God. We put Jesus on that cross. We don't deserve Forgiveness. We deserve death. Come face to face with that reality today. It's not something churchy that we just say. It's not emotional manipulation to try to get you to feel bad. 
It's the stark reality. We don't deserve forgiveness. We deserve death. We are guilty. But thank God he looked past our depravity. And he gave us a way out. Amen. He is a just God. And look throughout scripture and see that. But Jesus' sacrifice shows us the true depth of God's love. And how do we repay that love? By withholding forgiveness from others. It can't be. It can't be. Because you know what not forgiving actually is? It is a blasphemy at diminishing someone's value. Let me say that again so it can sink in. Unforgiveness and holding on to it is a blasphemous attempt at diminishing someone's value because you are essentially spitting in God's face and you are saying, I deserve forgiveness, but they don't. God gave up his son. That's the price he was willing to pay for humanity. And yet we hold on to unforgiveness every single day. How would it look for somebody that doesn't believe in Christ to come in those doors and actually see a church that practices forgiveness, that actually looks like Jesus rather than affirm all of those objections that they had all along. I believe with my heart that we can be that church. That we can be the church that bears fruit for the kingdom. And we are not like the fig tree. I believe with all my heart that we can be a church that's known for their own love and not their hypocrisy. I believe with all my heart that we can be a Jesus church and not a me church. That we can be a church for everyone. Regardless of where you come from and what you've done or your demographic or socioeconomic status. I believe we can be a church that stands on the principles of God's word. I believe all that and so much more.